What's up, guys? Welcome to What the Fuck is Happening with the Fed. I'm here with your boy, CK. Uh, we just recorded a great show with Nick Batia, covered a lot of topics, came to the conclusion that Bitcoiners always come to, which is the current system is unsustainable. But we have a great show for you guys today, and I'm really excited to show it to you all. Yeah, I mean, I think the the best thing about this is Nick and Colin really got into what is QE? Like people say money printer go burr, government is printing money. Uh, but really a lot of what is happening is QE. So they tease out exactly what that is and how the Fed is leveraging these different tools to try to accomplish their goals. Before we get into it, though, let's talk about our sponsors. First and foremost it is Swan Bitcoin. You guys, Swan is the best way to stack SAS at the cheapest price. They make it super, super simple, no frills. You just sign up, you set up how much you want to stack and how often you want to stack it. And they are just going to pull it from your bank account in the cheapest way possible and deposit into your wallet. From your bank into your wallet, um, non-custodial if you want it. Of course, they can custody it if you need that, but they're making this app for Bitcoiners. So it's non-custodial, easy dollar cost averaging with the lowest rates in America in 49 states today. Check out Swan Bitcoin right now. Lastly, the Bitcoin Magazine team is putting on an awesome virtual event. It is a 21-hour Bitcoin halvening party. Uh, you guys go to bitcoinhavening.com. There you're going to find a price ticker as well as a countdown till the halving. Uh, there you're going to also find more information about this live stream. It's going to be, like I said, an absolute party. It's going to be a combination of special content, commercials, um, different panels with some of the best experts that you know Bitcoin Magazine can deliver. And, uh, you know, finally, happy hours and just counting down the blocks till the having the third having being a part of history, recording it with all of your favorite Bitcoiners around the world. Uh, I could not think of a better way to celebrate the third having then bitcoinhaving.com with bitcoin magazine all right guys we're gonna dive right into it uh like i said really excited to share this episode with nick nick's a homie uh you should definitely go follow him at time value of btc on twitter uh you can also look him up uh by his name nick n-i-k batia b-h-a-t-i-a and uh, you can also find me at As I Lay Hodling on Twitter. Let's dive right into it, guys. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Nick Batia. He is a professor at University of Southern California, and he also is on the teams at Tantra Labs and Open Node. Nick, happy to have you on, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. For sure, man. You staying safe, staying sane? Staying safe, staying sane as much as possible, uh, going a little stir crazy, but who isn't? Yeah, man. I mean, I think everyone's ready to get outside, stretch their legs, be human again, interact with people. Uh, I will say the cool thing about the quarantine, though, uh, I think it's unlocked a lot of beautiful potential for people to congregate on the web in ways they haven't before. Like my girlfriend and I have been playing games online with some of our friends, like board games and things like Code Names or Settlers or Catan uh remotely which has been pretty fun it, it, unlocking some creative potential it seems my daughters too were reading books with other cousins of hers from around the world chicago india 
you know, doing story swapping and things like that, that we've never done before. So, so it's been fun in certain ways. Yeah, man. Brutal in some ways, fun in others. I want to go ahead and dive right into uh, some of the topics that we talked about before we got on. Um, Specifically, I want to talk about how QE really works in practice, because I think people see Fed prints, you know, so-and-so billions or trillions of dollars. Um, But I want to see how that works in practice and how those markets function. Um, And I also want to dive into some other topics of how the Fed provides liquidity to the secondary market and how it provides even dollar liquidity abroad and kind of what all this means for how this is impacting financial markets. Perhaps even going into some of the cognitive dissonance you might think or you might see in the news when you see stock market posting gains while unemployment continues to soar. I guess first question, just broadly, how does QE work and how does the Fed provide liquidity for those banks? So QE is, um, it's a balance sheet act. What the Fed is doing is they're increasing their assets and increasing their liabilities at at the same time. When they increase their assets, what they're doing is they're buying U.S. Treasury securities. And on the other side of that, they credit reserves to the banks that they purchase them from. And that's the liability that's created. So they don't actually print physical dollars, cash, when they're doing QE, they're crediting reserves at banks. So that is liquidity that the banks now have, but that doesn't guarantee that that money is going to be lent out into the economy and provide liquidity to everybody else. It provides liquidity to banks. So that's what QE is. They also are purchasing uh, mortgages as well as treasury securities. Correct. And bank, banks are using this liquidity to cover their obligations and debts, like you were saying. So none of this will end up really spilling out. Um, and this is part of the reason why, um, correct me if I'm wrong, this is why you also see the Fed going directly to some secondary market participants now. Because at this point, the system is so dammed up and people, the liquidity is so dried up that uh, the big banks aren't even able to lend to the smaller banks anymore for them to cover their obligations as well. Well, the big banks, uh, what we saw a couple weeks ago when treasury yields rose really rapidly after the sharp decline, we saw banks unwilling to even make a market in treasuries. So that essentially means that all liquidity had dried up in the system if the banks wouldn't even bid treasury securities. That's why the Fed had to come in and essentially do an emergency QE in which they announced the intent to purchase you know, hundreds of billions of treasuries to make that market function again. Then after they addressed the treasury market, they decided to address, address the liquidity in several other asset classes, including high-quality corporate bonds, student loans, high-quality asset-backed securities such as credit cards and autos, municipal bonds, as well as money market fund shares uh, that own a lot of commercial paper, which is short-term debt from banks. So they really just did a, a spray and pray, if you will, of providing liquidity. Uh, I mean, I'm just like sitting here just like thinking 
about, I mean, I'm just sitting here listening to you list all of those markets that the Fed has opened the fire hose on, right? Um, or kind of like you said, that spray and pray. People always say bazooka. It's, it's kind of like taking out the, you know, the, the, the whole damn platoon, you know, <laughs> and everyone's got a bazooka. So what, what's, what's the kind of magnitude of this, of this kind of uh, liquidity? People often make comparisons to 2008, 2009. Um, have we seen the Fed really pull out all of these weapons like this before? We've definitely exceeded um, what we saw in 08, 09 in terms of speed, s- size and speed. The scale in terms of the Fed you know, growing their balance sheet by about $4 trillion, which is what they did from 08 going forward over the next few years, um, we'll reach that in a few months in terms of yeah. you know, growing four I, trillion. I saw the, the, the projections were for $9.5 trillion, um, I saw recently. We'll be there quickly. So yeah. we will eventually exceed the expansion in terms of balance sheet, Fed balance sheet. We will exceed that soon uh, in terms of you know, how much was added. Uh, but in terms of how quickly, this is definitely way more than what we saw in 08 by magnitudes, I would say. And why is that? Is it, is it just simply because everyone's just too over leveraged? Is it because like, you know, um, all the stuff that Ron Paul has been screaming about this entire time? Well, if you think about it, you either own, if you own a dollar denominated asset, so, you know, forget gold, forget Bitcoin, um, which have their own, settlement currency, you know, if you, if you want to refer to it as that, if you own dollar assets, you either own a risk-free asset, which is a treasury or cash, actual cash, or you own something with risk. So that's a stock or a, a bond that the borrower isn't the U S government. So if you, if it's only a or B, and we're going into a severe recession, depression, the greatest contraction in modern economic history, you would want to sell the thing that has risk and buy the thing that doesn't have risk. Again, this is only within the USD world. Mm -hmm. So you have a run on the stuff that doesn't have risk. And that's just an overwhelming amount of selling. We have a hundred trillion in global equities and a hundred trillion in global bonds, right? And that doesn't even scratch the surface of all other sorts of shadow money and loans that are out there. And you only have, and I really do mean only, twenty-four trillion in U.S. Treasuries. So the actual scale of assets that have risk to assets that don't have risk, which are U.S. Treasuries. It's so massive. And when you flood out of one into the other, there's nobody to step in and buy all those assets. So the price on a lot of the more risky stuff falls to zero without the Fed stepping in and saying, I will put a floor there. Because then you just have a run on everything. It's, it's almost just like a temporary resuscitation in some regards. I mean, in, in others, it's not, right? Like with, and this wasn't just the Fed. It was the federal government bailing out the auto industries. And it'll be the same thing with the, auto, uh, with the, the airline industries too. I guess my point is if there's excess in the system, 
why save all of it and why not let some of it just fail? Are we at a point of no return where the Fed is just going to continue to act as just a, a guaranteed buyer of last resort? I mean, to be honest, even though the Fed has gone over you know, what people would previously imagine was possible this time around, it's not like they're going to save every company. Uh, high, you know, they still made sure to not buy high yield debt. They have not purchased stocks yet. So they're not out there saving everybody. They're doing what they think is necessary to prevent a financial crisis. Right now, we are in an economic crisis. We're not at the financial crisis stage of this yet. And that's what they're trying to avoid. How do we get a financial crisis? It's when the assets on the bank's balance sheet start to get impaired. And what are those assets? The bonds that they own and the loans that they've issued. So if people start defaulting on their assets, the assets that the bank owns, Mm -hmm. then the bank assets collapse and that bank goes under. That is what they're trying to prevent. So they are inflating the asset prices for whatever banks own to prevent that banking system from going under. That's what they're engaged in right now. The 08 crisis was a financial crisis first that then caused a recession and a wave of unemployment. This time we have the economic crisis happening first and now with the Fed trying to get ahead of evolving into financial crisis. I mean, isn't the financial crisis kind of a foregone conclusion at this point, though? Um, we're in the midst of it, right? They're, the Fed is doing the swiftest bailout in the history of the Fed. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely in the midst of it. But how bad is it going to get? Are Wells Fargo and Citigroup going to go under or not? That's really how you're going to know. Is Deutsche Bank going to go under or not? That's how we know if this is that real financial crisis. And by going under, I mean actually going under or bailed out by their governments, nationalized by the government of Germany, you know, etc. all these things. So we don't know yet. Those things haven't happened yet. So I don't think you can call it uh, a full-blown financial crisis yet. Although the signs are all there that we're at the beginning of one. If the chickens came home to roost and we had a full-blown one, I know it's kind of hard to you know predict the future, so to speak. When do you think we would see the, the real fever pitch of it? I, I, it's so, yeah. Impossible it's to tell. It's so, such unprecedented times. Um, it's really hard to say. I'm, I'm interested in, uh, sorry, I'm going off script a little bit. We didn't talk about this before the, the, the discussion, but I don't know how much you know about the housing market. But that's something I would like to keep an eye on because I've, I've seen so many, maybe it's because I'm on Twitter too much and this is kind of like sample bias, but I feel like I've seen so many secondhand accounts of people saying their friends or someone are like super host or Airbnb or just have a bunch of rental properties. And it just reminds me so much of what you, what you read in the big short, right? When uh, Steve, or Steve Eisman is in the, the strip joint and the stripper's talking about her five condos it seems like we haven't learned from our mistakes. And I wonder when that house of cards is going to come toppling down. And it has to be soon because of the coronavirus panic. So many of these landlords are going to go under. Yes. The real estate, um, the real estate problem is afoot. It's not, it's not like the last time where it's kind of the cause of everything, all the bad mortgage debt. 
mm-hmm. the more mortgages haven't been defaulted on at the in the worst case they're 30 days delinquent now which mm-hmm. is you know not even into the 90 day delinquent where you start getting foreclosures uh, we don't have any um, we don't have really any clarity on what type of foreclosure bans that we might see statewide nationwide how long those might last whether there'll be mortgage forbearance um, what's going to happen with retail we know that retailers are not paying their rents so those commercial mortgages that are underneath them. Uh, Tom Barrick, which is one of the big CMBS investors of the world, he's now calling the entire CMBS world uh, a total crisis time bomb waiting to go off and essentially begging for a bailout from the Fed and the Treasury. Uh, So, you know, that's something, again, a lot of problems of this crisis haven't even started to begin to unfold because People are literally just missing their first payment. And that's not when a crisis happens. It's when they miss the third, the sixth payment. The banks have to take write downs. So that's so far into the future in terms of like how fast the news is changing today um, that it's hard to, it's hard to even imagine what it's going to be like when we get there. That's the crazy thing to think about is it's only April and simultaneously it feels like 2020 has been going on for forever and also it's been gone in the blink of an eye the international uh, you know financial world just started collapsing only really a month ago really uh, oh, a month month and a half um and uh coronavirus really has only shut down the world for about the last month or so uh, so we haven't like you said even begun to see what's what's going to happen um wh- what other things are you kind of going to try to keep your finger on the pulse of to to keep track of going forward not to cop out here but literally just the stock market i mean now the stock market becomes the most important um thing to watch because stocks price things in sometimes the quickest so credit markets have been telling us that there are problems in the system for several months, even before the COVID crisis, but stocks reached their all-time high only several weeks ago. The, the speed at the correction in stocks and then this violent bounce that we've seen now, uh, watching the stock market every day and seeing if we do get that next leg down is going to tell us how quickly the Fed is going to respond with their next bailout, with their next round of QE, with their next round of liquidity uh, support Um, So, you know, that's definitely one thing I'm watching for sure. LIBOR OIS, which is the spread between the offshore dollar and the onshore dollar rate, something that I think is very important. That continues to stay quite wide and tell us that there are, there is a problem in the banking system still. So I'm watching that really closely. So can you explain, can we talk about that a little bit further? Um, Is is that related to... um like dollar swap markets and things like that? So LIBOR OIS um, has two components, right? It's a spread. OIS simply refers to uh, the onshore dollar rate or Fed funds. Okay. LIBOR is the offshore dollar rate where when banks issue dollar loans or time deposits called Euro dollars, um, that is associated with a rate. So the onshore dollar system and the offshore dollar system are kind of different segments of what the dollar is. Okay. And 
there is a basis risk between those two markets, those offshore dollars and onshore dollars. And that's what we're, that's what is represented by the LIBOR OIS spread. The LIBOR OIS spread really became a thing in August of 2007 when the basis actually grew to 40 basis points um, from several years and even decades at zero. And that was our first indication that the onshore and the offshore dollar markets weren't necessarily fungible and that there was a problem Mm. there. The Fed tried to address it in 08 and 09, but the problem never went away. And we've seen continuous widening of LIBOR OIS and kind of rolling amounts over the years when things start to uh, get a little shaky in the financial system. So we're right back there right now. And what is that spread telling you? Is it that the, the, the euro dollars are less reliable and less liquid? Like yes. people were willing to pay, pay more for the actual dollars? That's right. And that's what happened in 07, 08 is that you had a run on onshore dollar money from all the shadow money and euro dollar money that exists in the system. Hmm. Um, and has the Fed stepped in here? Like, is that the, is, is this related to the repo markets? Or any of the dollar swap lines that the Fed's been? It's related to the dollar swap lines. Okay. So what the Fed is doing is now giving central banks and more central banks now the ability to post their own currencies as collateral to borrow dollars from the Fed. So, um, you know, a foreign central bank can just issue their own currency, post it as collateral, and borrow dollars from the Fed. And the Fed has now extended. Um, the privileges to the commercial banks as well abroad so that you don't have to rely on the central bank commercial bank link to create dollars into the system abroad. You can actually just have commercial banks doing it abroad. So they're really trying to give banks abroad this ability to issue dollars more easily. Yeah. And, and like with everything else, they're, they're, they're trying to flush all of these, these systems and the markets with like with, ah, with liquidity. That's right. Um, and and so let's let's kind of step back and take a look at going back to all the stuff that we've thought uh, talked about, all the different places where the Fed is stepping in. What's the end game here when the Federal Reserve is basically providing liquidity in all of these different markets? You know, how much further can they go with this? I suppose they could start buying stocks. They could start uh, insure. You know, start. Uh, you know, taking on mortgages and housing related debt. Do you think it'll come to that? I, again, I know that's one of those forecasting questions that is hard to say, but things are really bad and it doesn't even seem like we've, we're definitely not towards the bottom. Yeah. I mean, the answer to your question is just look at Japan. They own half their own stock market. They own, you know, a vast majority of the Japanese government bond market they went into their crisis three decades ago, over three decades ago. It could go on for a long time. And Japan is still, um, you know, a, a, normal, a normal functioning economy, still one of the top economies in the world. It's when an economy like the United States becomes like that and, and the state becomes a guarantor and a, and a holder of all of this private wealth, what happens when the world's one of the world's most powerful economies does that and and even starts perhaps even providing that liquidity and guarantees for uh, international actors 
I don't know. I mean, the United like, States becomes the central bank of the world. It, well, it already is for sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely already is. Um, if you think about the monetary system as a credit money system, in that credit money system, the Federal Reserve's liabilities are at the top of that money pyramid. Um, so that's that's definitely already the case, and the Fed as of a couple weeks ago, has already signaled their intent to not let, to not allow for price discovery. If they're going to step in and buy everything, they're, what they're saying and what they're signaling is, is that the price that these assets will fall to is not sustainable for our system. Therefore, we cannot allow those prices to fall. So they're, they're setting a price floor. And, you know, they've, they've ended... Uh, price discovery. So, right, yeah. and that's like that's what you have to get when you know they just. I, I was reading reports today where it came out and said you know they're they're gonna they're gonna keep rates at zero for for a while. I mean, everyone knew they were gonna do that, but you know it begs the question: if you're driving rates to zero now when the crisis hasn't hasn't even reached its fever pitch yet, do you go negative? And Jerome Powell said, "No, we don't think we'll do that." Um, but I, I want to hear your take on that if you think that that you know, we we're doing a lot of stuff that we never thought we would do. You know, I mean, a, a Republican president and his cabinet is doing and has approved basically UBI for all for most Americans. So it's an it's a time for unprecedented acts. Do you think we could go negative? I'm not sure that the policy rate will go negative at the Fed. I think there's a stigma there, and politically, it might be tough for them to get away with it. Um, but that doesn't mean that Treasury rates won't go negative or Lending because rates we've already negative. seen that as well. Yeah. I mean, certain parts of the bill market have traded with negative yield uh, recently. And, um, you know, two-year notes have not yet. But, you know, we could very easily see many parts of the Treasury curve trade with a negative yield. Policy-wise, though, I'm not sure that the Fed is willing to do that right now. They'd rather just, <laughs> they'd rather just you know, do QE infinity. Just keep, keep just keep printing. Yeah, because we'll, I mean, th- there's that line: the, the Fed can buy anything that's priced in its currency, and it's it's becoming true and true by the day. I, I think that's the other thing um, that I've been very interested in. That Bitcoin has also brought me to try to understand a little bit more as MMT, and to try to understand how they're both perfectly uh, juxtaposed against each other because we're, we're kind of already at MMT. I mean, like this is the, we're, we're, this is the found, this is like the rooting of it, right? Like we're starting to see the sapling kind of grow. Um, and I mean, truly what an exciting time for the fed basically to unleash almost, you know, more market activity than it has ever done before. Right. As Bitcoin is going into another happening a decade out perfectly juxtaposed with each other. Yeah. I don't know. Not really much more to say past that observation, but I think that hopefully, um, I don't know, hopefully the dollar doesn't get driven into the ground. Well, you know, relative to other currencies, the dollar is in a tremendous position because of its place at the top of the pyramid with all versus all other currencies 
So I wouldn't worry about the dollar versus other currencies. Um, what you worry about is the ability for your dollar to buy assets. So in the short term, in terms of consumer prices, uh, we're going we're gonna to experience a deflation as we've had demand destruction and prices are going to go down. We've already seen that with oil. Um, the price of the pump is collapsing. So the price of raw materials is collapsing. So we're definitely going to experience a deflation in prices for consumers in the short term. Um, but we are at the same time experiencing the biggest monetary inflation uh, that the Fed has ever done. So that's a tug of war that has been going on since the financial crisis itself uh, in 08. If this monetary inflation is going to overcome uh, the forces of nature and, and prices coming down. I mean, so prices are going to come down in the short term. If there's inflation in the long term, I mean, it's just going to nuke purchasing power for most Americans, right? For most people, for, for people everywhere. But I mean, listen, it it's not a guarantee that it will. I know that colleges and healthcare and all these government subsidized industries have experienced a lot of inflation over the last 12 years, but other parts of the economy have experienced no inflation, mm-hmm. right? Technology itself is an immensely deflationary force. Right. And it is true that even though the price of a laptop a decade ago is the price, you know, same price as it, as it is today, it is true that it's a deflation because the laptop is, you know, 20 times more powerful that it's a technical thing that economists like to use. But in reality, that's a true, that is true deflation. Mm. Um, and so we don't, we haven't experienced that type of debilitating in price inflation, even though we've experienced um, an insane amount of monetary inflation. They're two different things and they are not translating one for one in this, in this modern regime of uh, post 2008 financial crisis. And, you know, I don't know if like everyday expenses are going to skyrocket in the United States over the next five years. It doesn't, that doesn't seem like a likely scenario to me, despite how many trillions the fed will print. But uh, for sure, we're going to see that balance sheet balloon in the meantime. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Any projections for, for how high how, how, how high are you going into 2021? Yeah, I've done a little bit of math on it. Um, we, I think that we'll reach $10 trillion at some point next year. We should get to $8 trillion in this round, I think. So we're already at essentially 6 trillion. So I think we'll get up to around 8 trillion, um, you know, at some point this year. Before, you know, all of this started kind of coming to pass and and the market started tumbling and, you know, the Fed stepped in with the repo market before 2020, they had just started unwinding QE from 2008 and 2009. Can you come back from this? Can you unwind this QE? Like they always talk about in theory. Yeah, you're shaking your head. So you just have to reach a new paradigm, like we were saying earlier, where the Fed becomes a 
guaranteed, uh, you know, uh, you know, a guaranteed source of liquidity. Yes. Um, in the credit money system, it has to expand to sustain itself. And so you can't contract it. And when they contracted it in 2018, uh, the market blew up. It mm-hmm. totally blew up. And I was sitting on the trading desk in you know November 2018, and you couldn't get a bid on anything. The market completely froze. And so they realized that you know, depleting the system of money, a monetary deflation, which is what that period of QT was in 2017, 2018, um, is not sustainable. And it blew up in their face. And they had to stop right away. And then they had to, you know, by 2019, start expanding it again. And by 2020, they had to double it. <laughs> so, uh, no, empirically, we have very little evidence of what happens when you try to shrink the balance sheet. And by very little, I mean one example in 2017, 2018, but it failed. So mm-hmm. they're 0 for 1 in their, and I, I would bet on that batting average continuing. I, I don't even think they'll try it again. New paradigm, guys. Why do you look to Bitcoin as an alternative to the system? The credit money system is unsustainable. And that's kind of the conclusion of what we've been talking about for the last hour. It's not really a sustainable system when uh, you get these huge debt bubbles, they begin to collapse. The Fed comes in and prevents the collapse of it and just extends bad debt in into infinity or into you know forever and in a asset based money system which we had under the gold under gold standards throughout history um it doesn't mean that you can't have a credit money system under it but you have a disciplinary constraint an explicit disciplinary constraint on the issuance of money and that's how much gold is in your vault and it really is the best model for a bitcoin monetary system going forward it's just another asset that you can have the base uh you can base a money system off of yeah absolutely it is the new gold from that perspective and my vision for bitcoin is as a base money for tomorrow as gold was a base money for yesterday. And it's really right in line with the thesis for gold that all of us Bitcoiners have been circling for the last several years together. Um, This digital gold meme, it still is the strongest. And uh, so, you know, that's why Bitcoin. Hell yeah, man. Uh, Well, this has been great, Nick. Really appreciate you coming on. It's just great. I appreciate you and Christian having me on, and uh, I really enjoyed it. To all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. Stay sane out there. Uh, you know, if you've got a yard, go outside. If you've got a balcony, go outside. Take it easy. Try not to stress too much.
a quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.